Hello and welcome. You're listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. Hello and welcome to episode 372 of Writers Aloud. In this episode, the second part of a two-part interview, Paul Dowswell speaks with Catherine O'Flynn about the constraints of the publishing industry, the importance of drama in the stories you choose to write, and what he wants to convey to young readers about zealotry and totalitarianism. You can hear the first part of this interview in our preceding episode number 371. We rejoin Paul and Catherine as they discuss the role of publishers in setting the bounds for historical fiction. Paul Dyerswell, a former senior editor with Usborne Publishing, has written over 80 books, including 14 historical fiction novels for young adults and older readers, and many non-fiction books for children. He's especially interested in the lives of people living in wartime or under dictatorships. His book Auslander, about a teenage boy growing up in Nazi Germany, won the Italian Hamelin Associazione Culturale Book Prize and the British Trinity Schools Book Award and one was shortlisted for another 17 UK and international book awards. Two other novels, Section 20, about life under the East German Stasi, and 11.11, which follows the lives of three teenage combatants on the final day of the First World War, both won the Historical Association Young Quills Book Award. When not writing, Paul visits schools and festivals throughout the UK and abroad to talk about his books and lead writing classes. He's also taught creative writing at the Midlands Arts Centre in Birmingham and is a visiting professor at the Manchester Metropolitan University. Paul spent his early adult life in London, working at the National Sound Archive, the Science Museum, BBC Books and Time Life publications. He's reviewed for Carousel and Armadillo and has contributed articles to The Guardian, The Times Educational Supplement and The English Association, among others, and has appeared on BBC TV and radio to talk about his writing. Outside of work, Paul enjoys travelling and playing with his band in the clubs and pubs of the West Midlands. I met up for a chat with Paul at his home in Wolverhampton. I was going to talk to you some more about the role of publishers because you've written so much historical fiction and you've also taught how certain historical periods are endlessly chronicled by the Tudors and Romans, while so much else is is completely overlooked. Mm. And how you've sometimes you've butted against that when you've wanted to write something slightly off-piste. So I was wondering, what, what's your insight into how much that's the fault of readers? How much is it the fault of publishers? Is it? Do you think the landscape is becoming more narrow, or what could we do to widen it? How do you how do you break out of those boxes? It's a big question. It's, it's really difficult, isn't it? I think readers are always going to be attracted by drama. So, you know, I, mean, I always say to kids, I, go, I do schools an awful lot, or I used to before COVID, and I love doing schools, and, and kids would often say, how do I become a writer, and what should I write about? And you need to write stories that have a lot of drama in them. So that's why World War II, for example, which is still hugely popular in schools, people are still fascinated by the war. I think they were last time I looked, anyway, because... Ordinary people were involved in that conflict in a way, particularly in occupied countries, in a way that they just probably hadn't been in any other war. Well, I mean, you could argue the Thirty Years' War or something, but but very unusually, they were involved in wars in a way they hadn't been in human history before. 
so that's one reason why those stories are, are so successful because there's a huge amount of drama. So you've got to write about something that has a lot of drama. There's no point writing about the farm boy who gets up and milks the cows and feeds the chickens and has a nap and yeah. <laughs> then it's time for lunch. You know, that, that unless you're just fantastically clever, I can do that in a way that would still engage a reader. And they, it kind of feeds itself because the more people read about those subjects the more they know about them and are familiar with them and feel that they might want to know more about them i wrote a book and it's one of my favorite books i wrote a novel called the cabinet of curiosities which is set in the reign of rudolf the second and he was the holy roman emperor but he was also he was kind of a renaissance man before the renaissance and he was very liberal in his tolerance of other religions and prague was this oasis of science and art and some cranky stuff as well i mean like alchemy and astrology but you were allowed to go to prague and say that the earth went round the sun rather than being burnt at the stake for saying it and people like Tycho Brahe and Kepler they actually found a safe haven in Prague and I absolutely love that era and I wrote this book and and I think it's a good book and my brother John who's my fiercest critic it's his favourite book of the ones I wrote and complete catastrophe because i just written a very successful book my most successful book Houselander yeah. set in Nazi Germany and I, I followed it up with Cabinet Curiosities and it completely bombed and I remember going I hate Goodreads I do you ever go on Goodreads uh, I hate Goodreads and <laughs> I remember one of the first reviews I ever had was a woman who's a teacher I think she wrote this book holds no interest for me and that was her review <laughs> Yeah, so the, the reviews thought, say so much more about the reviewers usually than the books, don't they? There's a cautionary tale. <laughs> and I think people just thought, why should I give a toss about 16th century Prague and all the wackos who were operating there? You know, you were saying how people, you know, yes, people are drawn to drama. And yet you, as an experienced writer and someone who's got experience in the publishing trade, find something you think, well, this is fascinating. There's all kinds of drama and everything here. And you write a book that's really well executed. And yet it isn't, it isn't successful. And so you think, that's what I mean about what does it take to shift that sort of slightly narrow, like, well, this isn't about, you know, the Second World War or Tudor. This is about something that I don't really, you know, it sounds like a bit of hard work to get into. I just wonder, yeah, how, how you ever sort of manage to widen people's uh, palette a little. The other problem is, I mean, one of the things that, Bloomsbury did and they, they did they treated me fantastically well Bloomsbury I had the most brilliant editor and copy editor I had this team of two phenomenally good and supportive editors but what they said to me after Cabinet of Curiosities was best stick to the 20th century <laughs> and I totally understand that because you know they have they've got to make money they they pay me money to write the books that cost them money to edit them and produce them and they just thought you know you write 20th century that's what you're good at yeah stick to it so 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 thereafter that's what i did for them and what i did was i tried to write things that people wouldn't have thought of about the 20th century i I mean for example my my last book i did for blues was called wolf children and that was about 
all the children who got left behind at the end of the war. And I, I love writing it. It's a fascinating subject. So they, they're called them wolf children. There were hundreds of thousands of orphans or children who had just lost their parents in the catastrophe that was the end of the Second World War, who were living this completely feral existence in, in Berlin, which was completely destroyed by the war. And I thought it would be really interesting to write a story about them. And, and there's a little gang of them. And some of them are still fanatical Nazis. And some of them, the scales have been removed. And so there's a lot of tension there between them. But nobody thought about that. You know, everybody writes about, you know, the evacuees and all that kind of thing. And fair enough. I mean, children love reading those stories. But I think you can still write within the confines of those areas that are popular, but find new stories that haven't been written about. As well as writing, you're, you've been in quite a few bands and you've always been a musician, is that right? I was just yes, to... yeah. So that's, that's a nice thing to have this, you know, other big creative outlet. How do the two get along with each other? Um, I think they complement each other in the sense that, particularly when you write fiction, fiction is a very solitary pursuit. It's just me and my typewriter and my research notes and my, you know, for most of the process. And then it gets sent off to the editor and then there's that collaborative thing. When I play in a band, I'm in a room with three, four people and we're always producing something together. And that's a great great joy do you play are you a musician no I, I, I would absolutely love to be able to I always I yeah I didn't even have the aspiration to be a musician I think I knew my limitations I, I wanted to be a rock journalist when I was younger oh, which is a you? tragic yeah. thing to want yeah. to be that's what I wanted to be but I didn't even have any uh I, I never even then when I was young thought I would ever be any good actually musically but I liked you know listening to it and writing about it and I know you said you're a fan of rock biographies so I, I'm curious a if you've ever been interested to write your own because that seems an obvious thing to do, marrying your two passions. But also that sort of idea of periods of history that have been over-documented and others that aren't. Do you think there's any, is there any band or artist that you think, God, why has no one ever written a good book about them? Yeah, yeah. I thought about this. And first of all, I, I think my agent had an idea that I, I, could, I could do some, because we both have this huge passion for music. Uh, yeah, we're always swapping <laughs> YouTube clips and things like that. But I think the problem is that I'm not an insider, you know, and, and the people who produce books that, that sell and are good quality rock books tend to be people who've, who have all these contacts and I have no contacts with, with the rock business. I mean, the, the two, I think I've read two br- absolutely brilliant biographies recently. Barney Hoskins wrote this book about Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. called Trampled Underfoot. And another one, Dylan Jones wrote Bowie's biography. Yeah. Made it, I don't know if you're familiar with either of those books. Uh, the Bowie ones, uh, to yeah. some extent, yeah. But it's, it's all, it's, well, he, he borrowed Barney Hoskins' technique, which is rather than writing narrative with quotes, most of it is, is just quotes from individual people, all arranged chronologically. And it's a fantastically effective way of telling a story. But he has all these contacts. He's got years of interviews. And so why somebody would actually use somebody like me to do that? I got the opportunity to do something for a chap called Jerry Gilbert, who was the drummer in Humble Pie. <laughs> do you remember Humble Pie? And I met him and he was a lovely bloke. He was 
I, I played in a band with a, a, a lovely bloke who's a bass player, and he was playing in the same band as Jerry Gilbert. And and Jerry Gilbert said, "I wanted to write my biography," and and I I would love to have done that. And I took it to my agent, and he just said, "The trouble with those kind of books, he's a drummer in Humble Pie, you know, no one's going to buy it." You're going to spend months doing it, and if you're lucky, you learn thrums. Yeah. So I, I, I'm just entirely in the wrong space to do that kind of stuff. Although I would love to do it. Yeah. Um, there's a brilliant book by Ian Macdonald on the Beatles called Revolution in the Head. Yeah. And if you like the Beatles, th- that's just. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to write a better book. Right. Th- on right. the Beatles yeah. than that. Yeah. So I kind of think all those books have been done. There's two people. I'm going back to Led Zeppelin again. Robert Plant and Jimmy Page have yet to write yeah. an autobiography, but you kind of think, particularly with Jimmy Page, yeah. <laughs> I think what was going on in their life was so dodgy. <laughs> they wanted to keep quiet. So one other thing I was curious about, because you've written lots of historical fiction, but on lots of different areas, can you look back at, this might sound a bit pretentious, you look back at your work, and can you see any sort of common themes in your writing? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm very concerned and, and I've written a lot about totalitarianism. When I was talking about the Cabinet of Curiosities, that, that's about the religious totalitarianism. I've written about the Nazis, Stalin, um, East Germany, the Stasi. And I think the reason I've been so fascinated by these subjects is partly because... I want kids who, who've read my books or would read my books to know about the consequences of political extremism or religious extremism because I just think there's no greater agent to human misery in history than zealotry, whether it's political or religious, and not being able to think your own thoughts. That's the really terrifying thing because all of those things, that whether it's the inquisition or the nazis or the communists they want you to think what they want you to think and they do not want you to think your own thoughts and that's what a lot of my books have been about yeah so that's one of the themes and the other theme i think is do you know one of the things i hate about the horrible histories which have been hugely hugely successful i mean i'm not talking about the tv things and the film which which i think is a different thing i'm talking about those books Mm. Was, was the way they look at the past, it's like they go, ooh, are they a load of twerps? Yes. You know? And I hate that aspect of it. And I want people to think, Quacky, aren't we lucky not having that? Or, or I want them to think... To be able to put themselves... What it, what it was like to... Yeah, it's... it's and the, the, what's he called? SF Sid. He said that fiction is the greatest empathy machine. And I think that anything you can do that creates a sense of empathy... Like, I mean, when I wrote that book um, about those refugee children at the end of the war, I mean, I want people to feel sorry for them. They were on the wrong side. Yeah. <laughs> but there's no reason why we shouldn't feel sympathy for them. And... I, don't, I hate that kind of, oh, weren't people, I can't use the words that spring to mind, but weren't people in the past twerps and aren't we great now? That kind yeah. of sneery yes. side of history. I hate that. I want people to think, what was it like living in that world where, you know, we didn't have all the mod cons? Or people, and most interesting of all, people had a completely different mindset. 
No, everybody believed in God. Even the thuggiest, most ghastly people on the way to the gallows would all be praying fervently. You know, I mean, that kind of mindset, people didn't question whether the Lord of the Manor or the King or the Earl should have the right to, to be who he was. That kind of thing. I love that. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. Because the interesting thing about history, whether it's cavemen, you know, right through to Second World War, the 50s, 60s, it's the same people. You know, we want a roof over our head. We want to be loved. We want to love somebody. We want to look after our children and feed ourselves. And only the circumstances are completely different. Yeah. And And I think if you can interest a reader like that then that's that's the thing that's worth doing whether it's the ancient egyptians or you know living in germany when the nazis were i mean my book auslander for example it's about what it was like to be in the middle of all that and not believing in it yeah yeah you know and, and i want people to think what would i have done yeah. And you never know, of course. You everyone go, Oh, I've been in the resistance. <laughs> but you know, if you're gonna get your head chopped off three days after saying, Well, don't like Hitler, yeah. then you probably keep very quiet about yeah. it. Well that I mean, yeah, and that book is an example, an excellent example, isn't it, of like of developing empathy that, you know, children might think, Oh yeah, you know, Nazis and they're all awful and evil and you know that shows you what it's like from the inside and how you know what how what do you do if you're in that situation and Mm -hmm. yeah I think you're absolutely right anything that kind of limits that sense of identifying with other lives is is just a terrible mistake really yeah yeah I'm reading a book at the moment I don't don't buy I think she called Abby Dare called The Girl with a Louding Voice oh yeah do you know about this it's written in Nigerian English right which is it takes a bit of getting used to. Yeah. It's the most brilliant book because it takes you into a completely different world. Yeah. And I think that's what the best books do. Yeah. And that's what I try and do. I'm not saying I succeed, but... And you can do that, whether it's a 14-year-old girl in Nigeria who's been married off to an old man, which is the gist of the story, mm-hmm. or whether it's, uh, you know, a boy in 16th century Prague or... You know, somebody, one of those boys who rushed to sign up for the First World War or, or, or whatever, taking your reader into a completely different mindset and a different world and from the inside, because that's what you can do with fiction. You know, you're putting them in the inside of something that's happening. And I think that's what I try and do. Yeah, I think, I think it's what you succeed in doing. Thank you. That was Paul Dowswell in conversation with Catherine O'Flynn. You can find out more about Paul on his website at pauldowswell.com. And that concludes episode 372, which was recorded by Catherine O'Flynn and produced by Kona McPhee. Coming up in episode 373, in Poetry Break, Catherine Maris and Julia Copus discuss classic poems by Thomas Hardy. We hope you'll join us. You've been listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. To subscribe to podcasts and to find out more about the work of the RLF, please visit our website at www.rlf.org.uk. Thanks for listening.